1: Parker like I said, sometimes with the British film industry, it's hard to know if we're waving or drowning. Let's find out. Welcome to another BritFlix.com podcast. And I'm going to call this one a special edition because I'm stepping outside the boundaries of the British Isles. I'm going across Europe. I'm going through all the way through Africa, South Africa. Please welcome Uga Kalini. Hello, Uga.
2: Hello, and thank you for stepping out of those boundaries. It's an honour to be here.
1: <laughs> uh, our mutual, our mutual, this is, this is uh, just to give people a little bit of a context for me. Uh, I mean, uh, I have I have spoke to people around the world, but I just I just thought I'd. Uh, uh, it's usually when I do fright fest, and so there's filmmakers from <laughs> around the world who who come to fright fest for the uh, for the festival and stuff. But uh, we have a mutual friend, don't we? Do you want to? Wanna... We do. Do you want to tell us? Do you want to point out who he is for the world, so they know who he is in the in the context I of South Africa?
2: Well, are we talking about Pascal?
1: Yes, I'll
2: Pascal. Well, Pascal is my friend in film. What else can I say? And has <laughs> been for a very long time. And I think has, with shock and horror, watched me operate and um, do what I have to do to get my film made, um, and often with a smile on his face. But. Always, oh, just a great supporter. In uh, he's just the greatest guy, you know, in
1: many ways. Well, he's, a, he's, he's like of... a he's like a one man marketing board for South African film, isn't he? No,
2: <laughs> oh, <he> is, eh? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good example. That's actually a good description. Yes.
1: Well, look, we're not. We're not. We're not. People will be glad to know we're going to talk about mutual friends. We're going to talk about a, a, an amazing documentary that you made that I saw, and through me. Having dinner with Pascal at Cannes Film Festival, I was saying, "Oh, I saw this South African blah 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 blah." And it like, "And he went, my friend made that." And then no. obviously, obviously, we we spoke briefly while while I was still in France. But then we arranged. This is our this is our fallback, as it were, to record a podcast, which is what I wanted to do. And that film's called Alison. So, do for the listener, do you want to give them like a brief synopsis as to what Alison is about and is? <laughs>
2: And and before I do that, I, yep. I just also want to say, as a filmmaker, I I've, I've fought hard to just refer to it as a hybrid, yeah. to um, some people's disdain and other people's joy and other people's, you know, it just depends what how much of a, pu- a documentary purist you are. Mm. But um, visually, this was one of the first of its sorts for South Africa for a for a documentary. Yeah. But we, you know, it's sort of it's a hybrid documentary, so it's I'd like to say and to think that it's a bit more than just. Um, your normal documentary. I mean, more and more we're seeing the hybrid style come through. Um, mm. But um, that's just sort of important for me to throw that out there so that um, the listeners remember, put that in the back of their mind. Well, I was going to
1: say, for the, for, the, for the layperson, then do you want do you want to expand on what you mean by hybrid then, so, sure. so people understand what that means as well.
2: So, so for example, the budget for this film was no different to a normal, but a tiny, to the rest of the world, but for what we make normal films, like fiction films in South Africa. So the production value and the fact that there was a script no different to a fiction screenplay, it's basically the place, visually, where fiction and non-fiction meets. So it's the same production value that you would get out of a a fiction film, Mm -hmm. but it just happens to be a non-fiction genre. And I chose this. Um, And that's maybe a nice lead-in to just give the um, listeners an overview into what Alison is about. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, please
2: do. I chose this genre because I felt it was the safest and the best way to tell this insanely incredible story, which is one of South Africa's biggest survival stories, the story of Alison Buetta, a woman who in 1994, I always say if you have to line up a bunch of women Mm. and say, who do you think? If something terrible has happened to one of these women, who do you think is the likeliest to survive this? Alison will be the most unlikeliest person you would choose because she's just normal. She didn't really know what she wanted to do after school. She wasn't the the golden child. She didn't excel at anything. She was just lovely Alison.
0: Hmm.
2: And then and then on, on 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 a a lovely balmy South African summer's night, um, she she was taken Right in front of our house, after she just quickly went to drop a friend off, but off at, at, her, at her house mm. by two guys um, who subsequently went on to rape her, um, slit her throat over 17 times, stab her in the abdomen more than 37 times, disembowel her, and leave her for dead. And not only did she survive, which there's 11 medical miracles why she shouldn't have, mm. but she actually became the first ever South African to publicly speak out about being raped. And that was 1995. So just imagine all the silenced voices. And, and so Exactly. And subsequently um, wrote a book with one of our great journalists, Marianne Tum, called I Have Life which came out in 1998 and has remained on the Penguin South Africa bestsellers list.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: That, I mean, Nelson Mandela wrote her a letter to thank her for the inspiration she was to him. So that just sort of gives you perspective as to the voice this woman has become for this country throughout the board and, mm. and for many South Africans, you know. It's it's a hell of a story.
1: No, no and that's kind of, and that's what, you know, it, when there's a there's a set there's essentially you know you, you use the word miracle there about about <laughs> medical miracles because that's that's what that's one of the things that sort of stood out for me and why you know like when I was just just talking with catching up with Pascal I said oh I've seen this amazing film um, because it's it's the most you you say she's she's this ordinary woman but also the 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 story from beginning I mean to end really is is like the most unlikely of 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 harrowing tales you're ever likely to hear um so for you as for you for you as a film, I mean I'm guessing you as South African, this is a story that is big news, full stop, so everybody knows about this story, i guess yeah
2: pretty much I think obviously with the younger kids who's like primary school, high school now, they might not,
0: mm. but
2: there's an entire bunch a lot most South africans I would say. Do that, don't if if that makes sense because mm. it's just uh, it's and and ironically this happened in 1994 which mm-hmm. was a very very big year for South Africa as we all
0: know mm-hmm. um,
2: and yeah so it's it, it you know
1: so 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 from that point of view with it being such a big story and with it having the best selling book attached to it obviously you going you going ahead an option in that book and deciding to make a film whether that be as you decided to do in the end the hybrid, then how did that journey start for you as a filmmaker? What were you, what were you what ma- what made you pick that as your as your?
2: You know, it's it's one of my favourite stories because um I had no money when I optioned Alison's world famous book mm-hmm. that many Hollywood producers um uh, offered her a hell of a lot of money for,
0: mm-hmm. and
2: um, and I must just tell you I convinced her with cupcakes, but I'm going to get back. <laughs> A, and it's not even a joke. I'm going to get back to that in a second. Let me just tell you what inspired me to tell the story. Now, the year this happened, I was a first-year student at Stellenbosch, which is like our big university, well, one of our many universities.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: but this was also sort of the year, you know, not everyone had a cell phone yet. Um you know, you're a student, so I, I definitely, it was, it was summer holidays. I was not picking up the newspaper. I had other things to do as a student.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And mm-hmm. Um, I was having the best summer holiday of my life. So I actually missed this story somehow. Don't even ask me how, because it was everywhere. But I missed it. And then in, in the following year, read about it, blah, blah, blah. And then in 1999, uh, fast forward a lot of years, um, someone gave me her book as a present. And in the same month, my friend gave me the book. She actually came to my old high school where I used to go um, to do a talk. Okay. And I happened to be visiting my mom who still lives in the same area. And I was like, I'm going to go and listen to this woman because it's insane what happened to her. And I want to see for myself. And I arrived at my old school, and it was, and, and I'm, I'm my school for for South African standards. We were quite a big school, like a thousand two hundred kids. Um, a very African school, so lots of rugby fields, obviously. Mm-hmm. And um, we arrived there, and there were too many people for it to be in the school hall, and they moved it to the rugby fields, and somehow managed to put up speakers because there were thousands of people who showed up, and I was like, oh my word, I. I never seen anything like this. And then I was so far away from Alison because there were so many people there that I could barely see her. She was a dot down yeah. there kind of thing. But I sat right by the speaker and when she opened her mouth, I, I've never heard the Northern suburbs where I'm from so quiet. And, and they were you know, and they were like tough men and women and like all kinds, all sorts. And we were mesmerized and, and I was looking at everyone around me in between choking. Yes, it was just hectic, the tears, the everything, the emotions. And I thought, but look at the power this woman has over all these people. Hmm. And I want to be the one to tell the story. I'm not sure how, but I'm the one that's going to tell it. And that was 1999. So fast forward a lot again. And in 2011, I decided I was now ready to tell that story as a filmmaker, you know, because I had to earn some stripes. Life had to happen a little bit more as well, I think, for both Alison and myself. And I heard Alison was in town, and I thought, I'm going to take a chance. I'm going to email her, and I'm going to say to her, listen, I want to tell you a story, but I don't want you to, to think anything about that fact except let me take you for the best cupcakes you've ever had and <laughs> then you take things from there. And she was gay. And I went and I, I picked her up. Oops, sorry, my chair just fell apart. Um, and and I took it to, at that time, it's this coffee shop up in Frederick called Lazaris and they just won Cupcake Award of the Year for this white chocolate strawberry cupcake that they have. And um, it's like... For real, and um, uh, uh, my a good friend of mine from school was the manager at the time, and she, it was rose petals and cupcakes and cheesecake and meringue. I mean, it was a PMS feast of note that any woman with PMS would appreciate. Not that we had PMS, but I'm just saying, anyone who has, get what I'm saying. And the rest is history. In a nutshell, the rest is history.
1: What do you think? I mean, obviously, it's, 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 a, it's a unique approach and everything. But what, what uh, as well as the cupcake being fantastic, what, what, um, we, what were you able to say that made Alison believe that you were the person to make the film about her story?
2: I think the fact that I truly had her story's best interest at heart and um and and I think it, well because obviously this is a question that's come up a lot in in the various interviews and stuff we've done um she just said that she knew that my heart was in the right place for her story mm. and that I would I would fight for his story, and I let me tell you, I did because then it was then it was getting the rights. It turned out to be the easiest part of it all because then it was convincing people and funders that I was going to make a hybrid documentary with a fairy tale aesthetic about one of the most horrific stories this country has ever seen, um, with lots of CGI and and, and fairy tale stuff. Um, which is then exactly what I did. And you know what I always say as a filmmaker, and and it's a little bit my philosophy for life in general, um, it only takes one yes for everything else to happen. But you've got to stick through the thousands of no's you get for the one yes. It's the one yes I chase for a living because the one yes unlocks all the other yeses you'll ever need.
1: I couldn't agree with you more. It's always, there's, there's always this, there's a temptation to want to please everybody, but actually it's the one that you need, isn't it? Oh, it's in and terms that's of one,
2: That's it. And it's the one that unlocks the rest. You know, um, the first person to say yes for funding, which in my case was the National Film and Video Foundation of South Africa. And I will sing their praises forever and ever and ever because that money entitled us to my. Enabled us to make a, a, a small promo, and with a promo, I then got my big funder involved. And if it wasn't for the promo, the big funder would have never seen my vision because people needed to see what I meant.
1: So, where were you taking your lead in terms of this hybrid idea back in two thousand and eleven? Yes. Where were you? Where were you taking your lead from in terms of you imagining this is the best way to tell her story?
2: She's my head, really. Um. <laughs> which I could be worrying for some, um, I think, you know, it, it, it really, but if, if I really have to unpack this,
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, you know, if you go look at, at the original, original fairy tales of the Brothers Grimm and all of that, it, yeah. it, was, it wasn't the sanitized version that Walt Disney offered us many years later. I mean, uh, Sleeping Beauty, did you know, got raped by almost every single prince that went past that castle where she was sleeping.
1: No, I didn't know that.
2: It's so hectic. The little mermaid, the poor bloody mermaid, and I've got a thing for mermaids, she died the most horrific, painful death alone on the beach as she waited for a guy that lied to her about him coming to give her the kiss she needed for eternal human life. It's hectic. It's a far cry from the stories we know. So I sort of... That is where it all started for me. That and interestingly enough, a commercial Charlize Tron came to do, I actually think it was 1999 too, I might be wrong, but okay. she came to do um, uh, uh, for, the, for the, the, the rape line of South Africa, um, a commercial for them. And the commercial was called "Real Men Don't Rape," and it's Charlize sitting on a chair. She she wasn't the star; she she was just breaking into Hollywood. Right. And um, and and she looks the camera in the eye. She's just dressed in black on this chair, very beautifully styled, and she she says, "You know, she's so proud to be a South African, but there's one thing she's not proud about, and that's the, that's our rape statistics." And then it's basically because real men don't rape, right? Mm-hmm. Which really. Is the crux of the matter if you really want to talk about this but we won't go into that but she if, if so many men and women ironically were offended by it and um, and they pulled the commercial from the air but it was just all of that somehow made this imprint in my mind so between the horrific and it doesn't really come together actually if you think about it but that's how it all started I mean that's my process in my mind, there's this chair, there's Charlize, look at the reaction, but there's the Grimm Brothers and the original essence of fairy tales. And in all of this is this wholesome woman, but not anymore because that the wholesomeness was taken from, you know, that's sort of how it all started with some cupcakes thrown in there because that's sort of the innocence of Alison. Um, but this edge of mine, I mean, I've always been fascinated by you know, by that side, by s- something fantastical, and for me, the, the 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 hybrid is the metaphor for the miracle in Alison's story. Because I didn't want to I didn't want to call it anything. You can decide what that miracle is. If you want to say it's God and God's angels, then you can. But if someone in the United Arab Emirates wants to call it something else, then they can and, and, and that's very important to me because Alison's story is everyone's story. And that for me was the tie in. The tie in was this magical element, the for lack of a better word, which for me stands for the miracle because mm-hmm. you can't call it anything else. You've seen the film. I have. Um, and 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 yeah, so so like you always in my films there always has to be some kind of magic. Because for me, that's what keeps me going as a human being. Because the magic is everywhere; you just need to see it. Others might call it miracle. Others might call it whatever. I call it magic.
1: Now, now you, you say you, you said that so Alison trusted you with what, what what was going to be how the story will be told. But but while while you're deciding how to make this this hybrid work, you're taking the book of her life a universally known story in the sense of anyone that was of it it was that was an adult or close to an adult would have been aware of this story so when you're retelling that in a way to to, to, like you say you're 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 using you're using the 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 the, the, the sort of the, the tricks of a of a fairy tale to 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 take us into something harrowing and bring us out the other side with with hope I suppose would be a good way of seeing the journey we're going because you take us all the way down you almost you take you take us You take us into the horror of what was what she survived, not just a kind of surface discussion of how horrible rape might be. It really... You you dive into it. So, in in terms of in terms of those how you how you told the story, what what for you what for you were the main challenges? And I'm thinking more like from a from a, from a screenwriting point of view, I suppose, because obviously that's that's the blueprint for what the film is. So, for you, yep. what what was the storytelling challenges when you were trying to make it into a screenplay that was going to be interspersed with Alison talking about herself in the present, as well as you then relating her conversation to this awful awful uh, event followed by an amazing miracle
2: okay so i think for me it was like i sort of decided the book was already out there Mm -hmm. and if you want to know about that all of that because the motivational stuff as much as it's appealing to many people and, and that's also her her life um journey now she's a motivational speaker in south africa for me, I wanted to know. That's all good and well, but what's happened since? Because my issue with rape and and everything that goes with that is the fact that yes, there's all these helplines for the moment it happens, but that's not when it hits you. It, it it doesn't go away. There are triggers. There are. It's something you need to deal with and grasp, uh, grapple with for the rest of your life. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and people sort of just go on with their lives. Okay, Sham, this thing happened to you. We're there for you. Okay, but now we're going to go on with your life. Get over it now. So I wanted to go look at what is the long-term impact of this and how did one person decide to deal with it. And I think what I realized in the process, and, and this is now answering your question in a bit of a uh, U-turn, um, was how desensitized we are as South Africans. Because I tell you, we are. Um, if if every 28 seconds a woman is being raped in South Africa and these are the ones we know about, do the math. Mm. You know, it's it's three of my friends at my house right now, one of us guaranteed huh, we, we've been raped. One of us, that's the one we know about. But chances are it's two of us. If if you look at statistics and all of that. So yeah. For me, as a woman of the world, this is something I, I want to like, look at because, I mean, in South Africa, we, we we talk about it a lot, but what about all the women in other countries where it's maybe even more of a taboo or assumptions that it's not happening when, of course, it's happening because violence doesn't discriminate. It's everywhere, right?
0: Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm.
2: so with this in mind, but I, what I realized was like I went to the American – um, Full market and I started pitching my project and the moment I just casually give my lock line, you know, she her throat was slit 70 times, doo-doo-doo. people fucking, oops, I um, suppose I can't swear, people, they fainted. They were like, stop, stop, I can't listen to it. And I'm like, I got so angry. And I was like, what do you mean you can't listen to it? She had to live through it. Mm. But But it made me realize we are desensitized and i had to come up with a way to bring this story to the world because obviously as a filmmaker if my story only stays in south africa i failed i failed the people of the world in my eyes this needs to travel but now i've realized that unless it's a like a heavy apparently it's fine to shoot people in the face um, and shoot their brains out in a in a car and then it becomes a, a iconic Quentin Tarantino moment, that's fine, but don't you dare tell a real life story of what someone went through, then people can't handle it and it's too tough. Okay, so, I had to make a plan and and that's all part of, because remember, I got the rights in 2011, but we only started shooting in 2015 and in that time it was a process i i got to know alison so that by the time the camera started rolling it, she didn't even feel like it was cameras anymore it was me and her chatting and and i mean and there's some intimate moments things she shared on camera where she's just so brave mm. um and so so that was the big issue and it's still an issue we had the tv version that is out in the world right now is a watered down version of the feature version because of audiences because it was never about the gore of what happened and if you really go look at how we did it, I'll never show you what happened. We used sound design and the real Allison's voice telling you what's happening with we were hinting towards what happened, but you don't actually physically see any of it. You see a hand on the roof. You see a face in the moon. You see the actual real knife, by the way, that was the real knife that they used on her. That's true. Um, but, but think about it. We didn't show you any gore. No, no,
1: no, no, no but I think that that, 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 that was, that was testimony to, to your filmmaking, really. I mean, I'm not, I'm not surprised by what you're saying. Um, Cause it's the, you know, we've there've been crimes. There's been, um, in, in, in the last week the uh, the famous uh, feminist Jermaine Greer has been I don't know if that news if this news has reached as far as South Africa but um she's been saying that the punishment for rape should be lessened um etc etc and you're like no matter how much you dress that up there is no logic attached to the idea Not- yeah, she says out
2: of my face. Yeah, no, that's not
1: good. No, no. So um, that that was that. You know, but I mean, it's interesting what you were saying there. As you were as you were pitching pitching the film to people, they're going, "I don't want to hear it." So in a way, you, you say you call it desensitized. I, I, in a way, I find it like it's almost like it's a denial rather than desensitized. It's like I know it happens, but I don't want to know it happens at the same time. You know, it's sort of that. That's the that's what I think is the crux of what you've achieved with your film is you've 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 told a survivor story, which is sort of just amazing. You know, it's like it's touched by the hand of something. You know, like it doesn't matter yeah. what you want to call it—fairies sure. in the sky, God, Allah, whatever. You know, something, something, something happened that, that defied all logic as we understand it. But Absolutely. at the heart of it, you took us into what could only be described as the darkest moment of, of anybody's existence—is to get to that brink of death, having been violently sexually assaulted. And, th- and raped and then come out the other side to tell you what it was like but then you what you do the trick I think you do is you, as she's telling us that story which is obviously of someone who who is who is living with it I, I wouldn't say like it's the survival is this it, it somebody said to me the other day was this this idea of the politics of language where mm. where they say I'm not a victim I'm a survivor you know it's like it's a it's a very different thing, um,
2: and she's very adamant about that. It's funny you would mention that. That's one thing she's very, very um, feels very strongly about. She's a survivor. She's not a victim.
1: Because, because that's what comes across in the film. It's like a victim is 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 is, is someone that, that doesn't come out, doesn't come forward. Is not is not being active in their the rest of their life. Whereas a survivor is striding forward, aren't they? That's the that's the big difference. What you see in this movie is that it's and I'm, and it's not to say that. Should anything horrendous happen to you, you'll end up like Alison. But what Alison no. is saying is, I'm a, beacon. I'm a beacon for what is possible if, if you can. You know, It's not to say you should or you will. It's more like, this is me. This has happened to me, and I'm going this way with it.
2: Yeah, and I think I'd like to add to that, because this is a very important point for both me and her, mm-hmm. and the team mm-hmm. behind this film. It's, it's the fact that it, she's almost just saying that, you know what? If I can do it, so can you. You can do anything you set your mind to it because I was the I was voted the most um, unlikeliest to succeed. But we're also saying not everyone has the courage to speak out. And if you don't, Alison is doing it for you and the other women and men of the world that will speak out. So we almost, because we subsequently did a, an outreach campaign called the Butterfly Revolution, which was ironically went back to the beginning point, which was Charlize's chair. And we used a lot of South African celebrities on the chair from Alison, but styled as Charlize back then to say, okay, this is the 2017 version of, but what are, stop pointing fingers. Forget about this feminist that says rape should be minimized. What are you doing about it? Mm. What are you doing about it in the world and place where you can make a difference because you can. You see, because... Pointing fingers, and, and I mean, it's absolute crazy what she's saying, but pointing fingers and going, oh, look at her, look at her, it defies the point. It, it, it misses the point because you can't do something about it. Um, and, but we're also not saying that burn your bra, speak up, do your thing, because it's about being um, so silently brave or publicly revolutionary. Whatever works, it all helps. And even if you maybe just w- watch Alison's story and go, oh, someone gets it, that, that, it helps. Everything helps, mm. you know.
1: Okay, so, so in terms of, one thing I, the, the, I always ask people who, who, do a docu- who do documentaries of any, of any form is, and, and, and it's interesting, you, you have this relationship which starts in, two th- this, this working relationship that starts in 2011, and then you yeah. make the film a few years later so in, in in a sense and given again it's such a publicly known story what do you think you learned about Alison from doing the film that you had no idea about going into making the film what was your big revelation
2: sure um, you know I I, I have two I mean I'll give you both I think it, it, there's a physical in like your know, like a superficial one and then a, a personal one so let's sure. go superficially because i mean by the time the camera's rolled yeah i would i would have liked to think, think that i was the expert that nothing she said would have surprised me because i knew it like I, I did my due diligence i um i unpacked her for 4 years um as a close close confidant and friend right
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, so i and my story was clear on my mind but there's a moment in the film where she sits in the attic and she goes through, she's divorced, um, she goes through her wedding photos and she talks about love and how hard it is for someone like her to date. Because one of two things happen. Either men are curious because Alison is a celebrity in her own right in South Africa. So, oh, yeah, I, I went on a date with Alison kind of thing. Okay. Or okay. she drops her clothes and there's the scars and there's the reminder. Something she's gotten used to live with, but for a new person, and I can imagine for a man, you know, who, who's, a, who's naturally inclined to be the protector and the caregiver, and, and we love that too, I'm not, you know, please don't get me wrong, um, we love men, this is not an anti-man movie at all, in fact, it's a no. We don't,
1: we, we don't like rapists. That's what we don't like. It doesn't. That's not, what
2: we don't like. Thank
1: you. Yeah. No, I understand. And
2: um, and, and um, you know, and and here's this woman that tells you this, and then she says, and I didn't know that, and that's that thing I spoke about before when I said she was so brave. She says that they did so much damage to her, her uh, 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 female parts. And, and private parts for having used politically correct terms
0: yeah that
2: she's got she's got no more sensation left in, in and around her vagina. So um, the, the sexual act it's you know she'll do it for the partner but she feels nothing physically because it's all being killed by them. The, the, all the um, the nerve endings, all of that it's gone it's destroyed by knife point, by stabbing. And I don't know, it was just how she said it and the the bravery of sharing something so intimate. Because I'm a super private person. Listen. Um you know, with the people in my life, they would laugh when they hear me say that. But they were all but out there to the world I mean I'm super private. So to me for her to say something like that, that is such an intimate, intimate, intimate piece of information. But it's something that can change the life of someone else just by listening to it. You know, how brave. So, I don't know. For me, that was a big deal. Mm. Um, And something I didn't know and something that broke my heart for her as well, all at the same time. You know, I mean, as crew, we were up and down, on and off this roller coaster of weeping, laughing, because she's got a wonderful sense of humor. She's so much fun. She's one of the most caring people you'll ever meet and then this happened to her. And I think that's what makes it so tough. It's because she's so damn bloody nice. And <laughs> not in a, a stuck-up way, in the most coolest way. She's the friend you wish you had. You know, the sister you wish you had. And this happened to her. So for me, on the, on the outskirts, that was really tough. But on a very personal level, uh, let's think about it. Um well I suppose you could say it made me reevaluate so much in my life and gave me the courage to make some life changing changes. Let's just say that. Okay. About when it comes to self love and you know, why do we have to wait for something like this to happen? to make the changes we need to make in our lives to make our lives better i don't want that to happen to me for me to go i love life shoot i woke up to see another day i just realized i don't I, i'm just going to do it every day now um and 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 do the things i'm afraid of stop being afraid sort of a little bit if that no. makes
1: sense no no totally i mean i mean it's it's one thing the, the 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 film captures because of ev- I mean everything about the story is heightened everything about it from from the moment you begin to realize what 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 she what happened to her to 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 what happened to help her live, but but the to me the the, the thing that was sort of at the, at the the core of it is this this insane want to survive that the human being has I mean that's what essentially drove her to the point where she gets noticed on the road, which then leads to get to hospital and so on and so on. But that sheer will to survive to be to be not be left on the beach, to to, to I think it was does she mark out something on the on the um what she marks out to get well, she catch, the name.
2: Yeah, she writes name
1: in the sand. You know, just it it, it it you you push you push humans to those extremes and then 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 something else kicks in, which is not something we're conscious of, is it? And I think, well, mm. well, yeah, uh, the, the, there is the huge politics of what of what rape means in South Africa and what Alison's story means in terms of the wider picture than in the rest of the world. But also, it, 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 it's its core is also this amazing thing that we don't have control of, do we? And like you say, there's really no point waiting. She she if she, anything, she's a massive she is a massive lesson, and example of don't wait till you've been disemboweled and laid on the road with your throat slit to decide you want to live. I mean, uh, that sounds like a really crass way of summing up. but but I'm with you.
2: And, you know, I'd like to say something about that as well, because it's actually, if you had to ask me what was the most meaningful thing Mm. you got out of this film, then then this would be it, because it's something I'd love to share with you and your listeners. And Marianne Tam, who wrote Alison's book, She's, she's, a, she's a, a seriously wonderful journalist back home, doing great things for this country with her work. Um, and she's very much a political journalist as well and has written many books, blah, 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 just to give you the background. Mm-hmm. But during this time of us making the movie, a terrible thing happened in a little town called Pridastorp where a, a girl by the name of Anine Boysen, um, was taken by a, a boyfriend and his mates. I think the story was, and they also raped her in a ditch, and disemboweled her. Jeez. And Amine held on till the hospital, where she was able to ID them. And then, because of a technicality, it got it got th- eventually. It, she doesn't know this because she died before this happened. But it actually got thrown out. Now, um, so Anin's killers are alive and kicking still, while Anin passed on horrifically, horrible death. Anyway, the point is, um, uh, she, she, she's the the journalist said this most incredible thing. She said the reason Alison survived, except for sheer human will, was because of two reasons. She didn't. Uh, she was raised by a single parent mum, and they were very close. She couldn't bear that her mum would have known, because she started crawling, remember? Yeah. And when she started crawling is when she realized for the first time what the extent of her injuries was, because she felt her, her entire, all her organs on her knees and top legs, and that's when she realized she's been um, disemboweled. So, But now she's already crawled a little bit. So she knew her mum would have known that she tried and then died. And she couldn't do that to her mother. And the other reason she was adamant to survive is because she could ID them. And she wanted to make sure that they never, ever did this to anyone else again, which again just shows you that character and her codependency. We always love our heads off and say it's her codependency that saved her, actually. Um, so, um, and that's why she wrote their names in the sand, France and Tienz, in case. She didn't make it, that there was some clue for the cops to go on. So, okay. So, Alison was raised by this mum, and no one says her mum was perfect, but her mum gave her one thing. Her mum gave her a safe space by loving her and giving her self worth by saying, You matter. Alison mattered enough to herself that night to fight for the greater good of everyone else as well. Whereas Anin, If you look at her life, her mother threw her away. Her mum was an addict. The boyfriend was abusive. There was no dad. She was in and out of foster homes. There was never a safe space. There was never just someone to hold her. And that kills me because it kills me that Anin had to die like that. And there's a lot of people in Anin's position out there. So to bring it back to a little bit your question before, I was pregnant making um, Alison with my second son. Um, so you can imagine having all those hormones as well while making this film. But it made me realize how insanely important your role as a parent is. And don't be hard on yourself if you are single parents. I am one too now. It can be done. But it's the, it's the responsibility that comes with having a child and having to create a safe space for them because it can make them move mountains if we give them that and it's free. And that's really the most important thing for me out of this form, actually.
1: Well, look, thank you very much for giving us your time on the podcast. It's been it's been really, really amazing and enlightening. I should say, and I, do, I meant to say at the beginning, but I, I can put it on the end. For, for for listeners in Britain it's available to watch and I'm guessing given what you've said in it it's the TV version isn't it because it's an hour as opposed to 80 minutes
0: yes yes uh,
1: it's available on Amazon Prime in the UK I don't know whether it's I mean can you do you know if it's, where else it's available for people outside um, the UK uh,
2: you're sure thing it's it's also on yeah. um, Vimeo uh, Google Play iTunes um easy peasy it's everywhere
1: okay we'll put some links in the show notes um But look, it just just gives me to say thank you very much for your time on the BritFlix podcast.
2: Thank you so much for having me and for the support. And thank you, everyone, for
1: listening. The BritFlix podcast is provided absolutely free. If you want to help me get the podcast out to more people, please take a moment to leave a review on iTunes. Or if you want to help me out directly, there's a link in the show notes to my Patreon page. All contributions are welcome. The music is by Chris Reed of thecomposers.tv.